0: Welcome everybody, to another podcast of we talk photo and for those of you who are new, we talk photo is a podcast about everything that relates to nature photography, travel photography and uh, those kind of discussions and we bring we try to bring some really great guests and, and uh, we 're here today uh, myself and my uh, my Co-podcaster co, uh, and producer extraordinaire, John Peterson, down in the Portland, Oregon area. Good morning, John. Good morning,
1: Jack. Happy to be here. Happy to do another episode in this rainy day that we have.
0: Yeah. Well, guess what? It's going to rain tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. Welcome I to the, the Northwest. On, and it just, all I need to do is just change the days. They don't need to change the forecast. <laughs> but, you know, that's why it's green up here, I guess. So, 43 anyway, and raining. So, Today, we are so fortunate to have um, one, of, one of, you know, uh, my favorite people on. And, uh, and without further ado, Justin Black is with us today. Justin, uh, we're going to let him talk, introduce himself. But Justin is a, another co-workshop leader. But more than that, um, he, he's an exceptional photographer, has a lot of great history behind him. And uh, it's our pleasure and our honor to have Justin with us today. Welcome, Justin from Washington D.C. Oh,
2: hi, Jack. Hi, John. The the, uh, the pleasure is all mine. It's very very kind of you to uh, to invite me on. So glad to be here. Well, you know, we we try to bring people on that
0: can add something to our community and 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 bring some insight. You know, and uh, and 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 you're right there with uh, with with everyone. So um, I guess a good place to start, Justin. For those of you who don't know Justin, I'd be surprised if you don't know who Justin Black is, but could you tell everybody just a little bit about uh, about yourself?
2: Sure. Um, well, I'm a primarily primarily landscape photographer, but I do, um, you know, basically I consider my photography just sort of a, a journey and um, an exploration at scales large and small. Um, and so that includes... You know, natural phenomena, natural design and abstraction, culture, wildlife behavior, and all that sort of thing. And um, you know, I uh, spent a lot of time sort of exploring the uh, the world's high and wild places, and and uh, um, haven't been able to do so much of that this year. <laughs> but, no. uh, but yeah, it's um, you know, my my background, basically, uh, a little brief history. You know, I got into uh, Photography. When a, a teacher in I think seventh grade uh, taught me to develop film and do black and white printing, and you know, just saw the first print come up in the developer, and like a lot of people who have that experience, I was hooked immediately. And uh, thought, my God, this is magic and alchemy. I mean, <laughs> in real life. Yep. Um. And uh, you know, was interested in photography all through all through high school, and um, ironically, when when I was off to college I uh, decided it wasn't a responsible thing to study photography that was just going to be too much fun so I had to do something serious and I I, um, went to George Washington University here in DC to study uh, uh, international affairs and uh, I I, although I was interested in political science and economics and things like that um, I quickly realized that my primary interest in the international part of that was travel and you know you know the idea of sitting in a, you know, espresso bar in Rome or something like that was more interesting to me than actual diplomacy.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, uh, mm-hmm.
2: So uh, and then, uh, you know, I started uh, an internship at a at a stock photography agency here in DC when I was still in college, which turned into a job as a picture researcher, which turned into a contract to shoot for them. Um, and I spent a couple years in Europe doing travel photography there. Then I came back and went to work for um, a father daughter team named Jim and Cheryl pickerel who um, um, jim Jim's long been considered sort of a stock photography industry guru um, and they had published uh, an important pricing guide and had their own stock agency so I, I sort of learned the ropes of photo licensing and and uh, copyright management and pricing stock photography uses and things like that through them. And while I was there, I uh, I uh, was contacted by an art director friend of mine who told me that um, Galen and Barbara Rowell were looking for somebody to manage their stock photo archive. And you know, Galen had been um, sort of a phantom mentor and um, you know one of my favorite photographers since I was about thirteen or so. Since I think around the time that his first outdoor photographer column came out,
0: get in line,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, and, you know, it's I just I sent in an application for the job, heard back, a few calls back and forth, was invited out for an interview, and next thing I know, I was moving across the country to, you know, Berkeley, California, and, um, and then uh, worked with Galen for three years, both managing his, his stock photo archive and uh, also assisting in this photo workshop program. And uh, gosh, I guess around 2001, we opened up a second location in Bishop, California, on the east side of the Sierra Nevada, where Galen had he, he'd been trying to move over there for about uh, 20 years or so. <laughs> in fact, he'd he'd actually moved over there um, in 1979, and tried to make a go of it, but that was before before you know FedEx and internet or you know email and all that. So. It just was too remote. He couldn't he couldn't run his business or do anything over there, so uh, that didn't stick. But but finally uh, he talked Barbara into buying a second home over there, and um, you know Barbara had been a real sort of city girl and had lots of friends in the Bay Area, and so Galen was concerned that
0: North Face, she, sir.
2: that's where I right? think
0: they met, correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, Barbara had been the, the uh, I guess VP of marketing at the North Face, and. Had hired Galen for an assignment or two, and uh, they ended up hitting it off rather well. And um, but uh, anyway, so the uh, you know it, the experience of spending some time in Bishop, Barbara discovered there was this empty uh, bank building down at the main intersection downtown that had been empty for some time, and she came up to Galen one day and said, "You know, Galen, we could put a gallery in that." bank building and Galen said really (laughs) we could do that (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so uh, after that location proved that it was a far better location for a gallery and you know our workshop program and all that sort of thing we decided to consolidate everything over in Bishop and uh, and uh, initially I actually wasn't going to relocate over there Um, but and I agreed to spend about three months sort of training staff and training my replacement fundamentally um but uh i learned pretty quickly as a i was a guest in their their home during that process and every morning at about five thirty, galen would come by my room and just gently knock on the door and he'd say justin coffee and you know, i didn't i didn't have to get up but I, I learned very quickly that, you know, if I did get up and had coffee with Galen, we'd go out and, you know, go chase mountain lions or go you know, rock climbing or um, just go photograph the landscape or something like that before work. and uh, what, a, what an experience, though. I mean,
0: God, I mean, uh, you can't you can't learn any
2: better. I mean, God, that's. Uh, it was uh, well, yeah. Was, you know, Galen. Galen was one of the hardest working people I've ever met. You know, and yeah. uh, he was everything he did, whether it was um, you know a rock climb or a trail run or whatever, um, was in, in in one way flowed into his business. You know, because the all the you know his his. Trail running you know, that, that kept his fitness up, which allowed him to go on these expeditions and climb mountains and, and all this sort of thing and um, you know that was a real learning experience, sort of seeing how like every every aspect of what he did some way reinforced the sort of upward spiral of of his success. And that uh, no, was definitely a, a great, great privilege and an honor to, to work with him. Um, unfortunately, you know, after I moved over to Bi- well, I came over to Bishop in April of 2002, and uh, you know, helped uh, helped him get him and Conrad Anchor and Jimmy Chin and Rick Ridgway get packed up for what would be Galen's last big uh, National Geographic story. Um, which was a 275-mile mile trek across the Changtang Plateau in Tibet um, looking for the calving grounds of the Chewer Antelope, which they, they did totally self-supported, pulling custom-built rickshaws with mountain bike tires, each carrying about 250 pounds of gear and provisions.
0: <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. um, anyway, uh, you know, I helped them pack up for that, saw them off on their on their way, and then I went on vacation for a couple weeks. Um, and anyway, I didn't see Galen again um, because he he came in the me- meantime while I was gone. He came back and then left on a on a circumnavigation of the Bering Sea um, with uh, Franz Lando. They were teaching a workshop on the ship, and uh, and they were flying back to Bishop. Uh, and everybody probably knows the story of the crash. But their their, their chartered twin engine turboprop uh, that they were being brought home on, um, crashed on approach to uh, Bishop Airport. And um, I found out the next, that was about 1.30 in the morning or something. And I found out the next morning about 6.30 when a friend who was a volunteer fire, firefighter woke me up and at my front door and laid the news on me. Um,
0: I think, you know, that's one of those things for me. Uh, I, I You know, you have people say you remember where you were when you heard bad news. and right. You know, what- president get assassinated or whatever but i I mean i can remember when i heard i I remember exactly where i was exactly what i was doing and i was nowhere near as close to galen as you are we we knew each other you know Mm -hmm. the industry um i I tell you i'll tell you a a real funny story um when i moved to california i decided i wanted to learn how to take a photograph Mm -hmm. so I did like everybody else, you know, I went out and bought the Bogan 31 tripod, you know, and the right ball head and I had Mm -hmm. the right clothes on and I had, I had the right camera. I I looked like I knew what I was doing, you know, to make it happen. And and I'm in Yosemite and the, 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 the melt uh, came on early and the, the, the ground in front of uh, uh, El Capitan was flooded and there was a great reflection. I'm standing there. And uh, it was chilly, you know, it was about thirty three, thirty-four and and I'm standing there taking a photograph and the skywalk walks up and back at me. He says, You can't take that photograph like that. You have to get down into the water. And I said, You're out of your mind. And i, I and remember, I just moved fr- from New York and New Jersey, so I had right. the I had the attitude, you know. Yeah. So, and uh, he says, No, you're gonna fail and you'll never be anything. So I said after about three or five I said, Who in the hell are you? And he goes. well, oh, I'm Galen Rowell. I, <laughs> Then I about died, I dove into the water after that. And, and, but that was. My, but you know, he was amazing, and your 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 history with him is is just unbelievable. I mean, it, it just it's just so great to hear these stories.
2: Well, I love your story I can hear Galen's voice <laughs> saying yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it was uh, <laughs> so, so
1: Justin, let me let me ask you real quick. Uh, how did you get involved with the conservation work that you've been doing? You've been doing this for a while, and and yeah. uh, wh- where did that come from, and what keeps you going in that?
2: Well, my, um, you know, my well, <laughs> it's funny, but well, where to begin? Um, <laughs> I think you know, I, I sort of starting to identify, uh, as a conservation photographer or a photographer working on conservation projects. Um, when I was living in, in Bishop a couple of years after Galen died. Um, and of course this is something that Galen had been heavily involved with, um, you know, working with a, a number of conservation organizations and, and also humanitarian organizations and wildlife rescue organizations. But, uh, In 2004, I was actually asked by the Wilderness Society to come to D.C. to um, uh, help them basically with some lobbying on behalf of a proposed wilderness expansion in the Sierra Nevada and the White Mountains. Um, And there there were large swaths of land that were administered by the Forest Service that were – they were being managed as wilderness, but they weren't designated wilderness. And the idea was to protect those areas with proper wilderness designation. And so I I came out, um, got to visit my parents in the process, and, uh, you know, we were knocking on – all right, we had appointments with with various congressional offices and, you know, usually meeting with legislative directors or legislative assistants um, occasionally with the actual representative or or senator. Um, Barbara Boxer was very nice to us, but we had a a meeting with uh, Howard Buck McKeon, who – was our local uh congressman at the time and you know his main sort of voter base was down closer to LA that his district was very large geographically and the eastern sierra nevada was a bit of a backwater and you know we were a tiny percentage of of his of his constituency um but we basically went in making the economic argument that that uh you know when people visit the Eastern Sierra or drive up highway three ninety five whether or not they go into the wilderness they 're looking at it you know looking up at these mountains um you know the the view shed as as it 's called sometimes uh is a lot of it is either designated wilderness or areas that are being managed as wilderness and um you know he he wasn 't much of an environmentalist wasn 't particularly you know uh it, you know, enthusiastic about environmental causes, but, you know, he, he heard our case and toward the end of the meeting, I, I pulled out a, a framed 16 by 20 print of a picture that I'd made up in the high Sierra Basin uh, west of Bishop with the uh, evolution peaks and in the background and alpine wildflowers and a little waterfall in the foreground. And I said, uh, Congressman, did you know that this is in your district? And his jaw just about hit the floor. <laughs> hmm. And, um, you know, he, he, he literally didn't really understand what was up in those mountains. And um, he, you know, I don't want to take credit for it because it was a major campaign. There were lots of people involved who put in way more more, more effort and energy and blood, sweat and tears than I did. But, um, you know, bottom line is at the end of the process, you know, four years later, I think it was, um, he ended up co-sponsoring the bill with Barbara Boxer uh, and they got it passed. Um, it was really quite amazing and And once that happened, that you know I had been at Mountain Light um, by that time for nearly ten years, and Galen had been you know he died in two thousand and two it's getting to be two thousand nine, and i've sort of done everything that I feel like I can do. Uh, along with their, you know, their surviving family to sort of secure their legacies, and we published uh, a major retrospective of Galen's work, and um, had established the RAL Fund for Tibet and um, the RAL uh, Fund for the Art of Adventure, which was sort of a grant. Uh, both of them were grant-making entities that that supported both. Um, the Tibetan one was administered by the International Campaign for Tibet, and they uh, basically supported—sorry—supported Tibetans that were uh, working in communications one way or another to help them sort of get their own story out instead of relying on Western surrogates like Richard Gear. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, I you know I felt like we'd done what we could do, and there were some. Um, issues that I felt were sort of holding the, the the business back, shall we say, and I won't go into what those were, but, um, you know, anyway, I felt like, you know, I was sort of at the end of the rope, and it was time to maybe think about doing something new, and I was excited about the idea of doing something that was more conservation-oriented, so I uh, started letting some people know I was thinking about what my next step was, and both uh, Franz Lanning and Jack Dykinga recommended me to the international league of conservation photographers, which was at the time they had just received, um, some major funding. Um, and, uh, they were looking for somebody who was more of a sort of a day to day fiscal manager, you know, staff manager, um, so that they could free up the, uh, the founding executive director to be more of a sort of a figurehead and major fundraiser. Um, and so i applied and we talked talked it over about 6 months and finally worked it out and, and uh, i moved back to dc and uh, <laughs> yeah worked with them for uh, close to 2 years and um, you know we did some amazing stuff published a number of books and um, had uh, I think while I was there, we, we managed seven um, conservation photography expeditions, which we called RAVES, or Rapid Assessment Visual Expeditions. Um, that would have a, anywhere from a handful to up to 30 photographers working on, um, you know, issues facing a particular area, like we did one on um, the Flathead River Valley that, you know, starts up in British Columbia and crosses over into Montana, um, the uh Yucatan Peninsula, Great Bear Rainforest, um Patagonia, we we uh helped stop two major dams that were gonna go in and destroy the the, the um Rio Baker and, and um Rio Pascua River valleys um what else? A Number of other things. Um oh Chesapeake Bay watershed that that was a big one. Um anyway um you know, and then that, you know. Basically, I realized after uh, I, don't know, I don't know close to two years of doing that, I you know, I really missed teaching, really missed being out there photographing myself, and uh, decided to start up Visionary Wild. Tremendous.
0: Well, you, your your background in history is commendable, to say the least, and what make you feel good to have done what you've done and. In- And now uh, move on to, to the, uh, the great, uh, the, the great uh, business that we're trying to get back going here with this COVID, situation.
2: That's right. It's fortunately it's a crank start, you know. So you just you just (laughs) keep grinding, keep grinding away, and eventually it starts up again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's Uh, the hope. We'll get there.
2: Right
1: that's the hope. So, so tell us a little bit about visionary wild. You know, it's, uh, hopefully some folks have heard of that in our audience. If you haven't visit Justin's website, check it out, check out his work, but go ahead and tell us a little bit about that. Justin.
2: Sure. Um, well, basically, I don't know what, what, you know, when I, I was my, my first, the first workshop I was ever involved with, uh, you know, were galens, um, out of the the gallery in the Bay Area, um, in Emeryville specifically, and uh, you know Galen did it, he he was a really amazing teacher and um, very insightful. I think he was very effective, and he was great at critiques and things like that. But there were some things about just the format of of his workshops that struck me as a little bit off. Um, uh, not you know I hate to criticize him, but
0: uh, I'm glad because I have the same view.
2: I mean, one of the one of the main things. It's just a simple thing, really. But, um, like, the the first night of the workshop, we'd have a, a pizza party, so everybody's getting together, socializing, getting, getting to know each other, breaking the ice. But then the subsequent, um, you know, meal times, uh, you were sort of on your own and of course you know the the group would come back from the first evening's shoot or the sorry not the first evening shoot but say the second evening shoot you know everyone's got to go have dinner somewhere right and there's this sort of this awkward pause where everyone's like so i, I don't know what are you going to do where are you going to go what are you going to do galen can you come with us do you want you know do you want to join us for dinner you know and, and if you do who's paying you know all this kind of stuff yeah. and so i decided like you know one of the things i did at mountain light after galen died was that i you know i decided you know what we're including all meals we're going to Meet together as a group during this workshop, and and um, you know that's it's such an uh, important social component, and um, uh, um, you know there's so much informal discussion that happens during during meals where people yeah, are I you know.
0: Re- I mean that's part of the experience of of the workshop.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's- you know, things come up, things occur to people while they're in the middle of their their breakfast or whatever that <laughs> they they wouldn't have asked in the classroom. Um, Anyway, so one of the things I wanted to do was, you know, take these ideas I I had based on, on, you know, my experiences at Mountain Light and, you know, try to continue developing them um, and just really focus on creating a great overall experience. And I think that that's, you know, there are a lot of workshops out there. There are a lot of photo tours, um, uh, but, you know, what was always really important to me was A, having, you know, instructors who are they're not just good photographers but they're yeah, ideally top-notch photographers who are also simultaneously really you know effective teachers and very generous teachers and um you know who are really there to prioritize the the participants experience and uh, maximize what they're getting out of it um and you know, making sure that at the end of the day, you know, regardless of what we're doing, it's fun, it's productive. People are coming away saying, "Gosh, I really did learn something and had a great time doing it." Um, and <laughs> you know, the it's funny because when I was starting it up, you know, I had this idea for the kinds of kinds of trips I wanted to do, and I started creating sort of you know model budgets for hypothetical. Um, trips and workshops, and, and, um, you know, at the time, I think the most expensive photographic education or travel program of any kind that I'd I'd organized was uh, our Grand Canyon raft trips through Mountain Light, which I think cost about $6,000 or close to it. And um, to me, that was huge, and that was like a lot of money. I couldn't believe anybody would spend that much. And then I'm pricing out, say, a hypothetical, you know, Um, African Safari the way I thought it ought to be done or um, what else, you know, uh, whatever, a trip to Patagonia or something. And the prices, I'm realizing I'm going to have to charge in order to actually make a profit of any kind. (laughs) You know, it's like the numbers start getting pretty big and it's partly due to the fact that we were trying to limit the group sizes, keep them relatively small, um, also make sure that, you know, we had adequate Uh, instructors so rather than maybe just having one instructor on a trip we'd have two um, or even three depending on the on the workshop of the trip Um, but all all those things sort of they may improve the quality of the overall experience but they also push the price up and and you know Uh, anyway so it's getting my head around the fact that there actually is a market for sort of you know more upscale um, experiences that are you know the i at the end of the day the, the main thing is they have to be really good value regardless of what the price is um, and uh, you know so my focus basically was on developing really high value um, workshops and trips um, you know regardless of what the, what the what the final cost ended up being um, um, I mean obviously you have to factor that in to a certain degree but um, you know rather than trying to uh follow the the downward spiral spiral to the sort of the the bottom of the barrel and and lowest lowest price um, you know I decided to focus on quality yep,
1: yep. you, you got to stay true to yourself and keep that quality
2: level up i think absolutely and you know we have we have tons of clients who you know have done over ten or twelve workshops or trips with us and and most of our are workshops and trips are you know they're 50 to 100 percent repeat clients um so i guess we must be doing something right
0: (laughs) well you know i have to tell you that um john and i and john if i'm if you want to add to this please do um we we try to follow the same pattern and we find we have the same results Mm -hmm. Um, it's not easy things are getting more expensive everywhere you go and now it's prices have gone up even more Mm -hmm. but um one of the things that that i guess it i don't want to say irritates me but one of the things that is some it it kind of baffles me that i see people going to the same areas that i go and you go yeah that are
2: i don't know how they're making any money right and yeah you know, i i've had the same reaction <laughs> because i i've run all the numbers i know i know what things cost. None, of us, none
0: of us here are, are, are wealthy people you know we're not getting wealthy out, out of this right we're, we're, you know we're just you know we're making a living like everybody else yeah. but you know when i see people i mean the stock business has gone away because people are giving away their photographs and you know, I, I, and I know these trips are not being run to the same level that you would run a trip, yeah. uh, we would run a trip, other people who are responsible in this business, and there are a lot of them. Yeah. But there's a lot of people really, you know, skating and filling up their, their image files on other people's dimes, and it just kind of irritates me.
2: Yeah. yeah, and, you you know, I always, always wonder, you know, about whether operators are insured properly or... Um, yeah. You know, are they? I mean, it's not that permits are terribly expensive, but there are still people out there who are operating things without the permits. i tell you that I'm going to tell you,
0: Justin and John, again, chime in here. You know, this as a bunch of I do. I'm going to tell you that more than half the people running workshops don't follow the right protocol. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad truth. And a poor customer, I mean how do you so you 're a new photographer, okay, you just decided you wanted to learn how to take a photograph
2: and you 're going to take a worship. How do you vet people i mean well that's that is an interesting definitely an interesting question i mean one of the one of one of the things that 's always been important to me, I think I mentioned before is that you know the the quality of the instructors and you know one thing that I decided to sort of stick with <clears throat> um when i started up the company was that our instructors would basically one one of the requirements was that they had to have actually made their living as a photographer um you know uh workshops aside (laughs) so in other words they had to have actually done assignment work or or you know license through licensing or publishing books or you know writing articles or whatever but um you know, it was. Um, you know, I I think that the the vetting process is really important, and the you know the the folks who have actually had to respond to the needs and um, requirements set forth by you know like professional photography editors, curators, um, book editors, and publishers, all that sort of thing. Um, you know, that makes a difference in how you how you work, how you think about photography, like where your standards of quality and ethics are, all that kind of thing. And I think that's, um, you know, obviously, I mean, you don't have to, there are people out there who don't necessarily have that background who may be perfectly good teachers and they may know a lot about photography, but I think that there's another level that's added to it if they if they have been vetted in that way by, by other picture professionals. Um, <clears throat> that is, people who work with pictures that don't necessarily make pictures. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah how, how to vet workshop instructors? I mean so much of it seems to be these days you know um, you know word of mouth mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know we we i mean obviously we keep in touch with our our email list and and you know have our website and social media and that sort of thing, but you know i, I haven 't done any print advertising. Um, Or any significant paid advertising of any kind, really, for several years. And um, partly because I couldn't detect that it was achieving anything useful. (laughs) Whereas, whereas,
0: whereas
2: word word of mouth, uh, you know, has been, that's basically built our business, is just, you know, building a good reputation. And um, my uh, friend, my friend Barry, who was uh, actually co founded the business with me. Um, you know, he he has a background in in like sort of corporate branding and that sort of thing, and, and he has a expression that uh, you know to quote him, "brand is." In other words, you can assert your brand to be whatever you want it is, but your your clients are going to decide what it really is.
0: <laughs> yeah, they, they they will they will uh, vote with their with their uh, registration forms that's
1: yep, right for sure hey justin let me ask you so you've been you traveled to a lot of really unique places you know antarctica uh-huh. the arctic kyrgyzstan patagonia all these different places what's your what's your favorite wild location that you've been to
2: oh i mean kyrgyzstan is definitely um well it's i mean at least for the last several years uh it's been my number one um why? For a, no, for a number of reasons, um, it's you know it's a country that's about the same size as um, uh, Great Britain, and it, it within that space, you know, you basically have a landscape that runs the gamut from sort of the Himalaya to the Alps to the Rockies to the um, uh, American Southwest, and uh, it's. You know, uh, the, the, what 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 tourism has been developed there uh, is pretty low scale, with the exception there. There's some there's a large lake there called Issykol, which is a, a big salt lake that was developed as a sort of a beach resort area in um, the Soviet period. And a lot of those former Soviet resorts have been either updated, or rebuilt, or whatever. And there, you know that there's still that activity, but that's sort of the main tourism. Um, in the country it's all sort of isolated and mostly on the north shore of the of the lake um and otherwise um you know the the, partly because logistics are a little tricky the 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 um you know accommodations are limited um and parts of the country are very rugged and you know you really need proper four-wheel drive to get around and stuff like that um so it's not the easiest place to travel, but you know all these problems can be solved and um it's just the you know you get out into these big wide open landscapes where there's no no trespassing signs there's no no fences it's just spectacularly beautiful and the the culture is very um, sort of friendly and, and welcoming and um, uh, you know I just find that it, it you know i mean part oh, the other thing is my wife is from there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that helps, <laughs> which, I, which I didn't mention. But um, and so that's that was my introduction to the place. But uh, it's just it's just a wonderful place to travel. It's just a great travel experience, and the photography is fantastic. And you know, there really is a feeling of in a lot of the places we go, is feeling of real exploration. And you know, you're not uh, you're not going to be side by side with you know twenty other photographers. Um, and tripods and stuff clicking away at the same subject. Um,
1: and, and, you know, that kind of experience is getting harder and harder to find these days.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's uh, worth
1: the price of admission right there just to experience that.
2: Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, the, uh, I, yeah, I find the places that, that, I personally uh that speak to speak to me the loudest tend to be those kinds of places like I love uh you know Antarctica and Greenland and uh Patagonia and places where you can you know sort of big landscapes where you can move around and get off on your own and and uh with maybe your closest friends and uh and you know really do something meaningful and and do something original and unique you know that uh, hasn't been knocked off a million times.
0: Yeah, it's getting – Iceland's a perfect example of that now, isn't it? I mean, that it used to be
2: – Yeah, for sure.
0: Become, uh, it's become like uh, slot canyons, you know. It's yeah. Become,
2: yeah, I mean, uh, we we are still doing Iceland trips, but only to places that are off the beaten path. Um, well, I won't go other than the winter. I'm not going to – you know, I'm not uh,
0: – you know, the summer – That you know, that typical South Coast Iceland tour is oh. is – God, forget it.
2: it just, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, there, there's some places that...
0: it uh, amazing, but
2: Some no places more. I'd love to go back to, but... Uh, <laughs> so who, yeah.
0: When was the last time you were over in Iceland?
2: I was there, uh, what, sup, was it September last year?
0: Yeah. What do you it's work with? There? Do, you, you, uh, do you work with a with a, with a, a tour guide in Iceland, or are you are you on your own? Uh,
2: I work with uh, basically a group of... Drivers who have four-wheel four-wheel drive, and um, um, you know, we basically go off into remote areas in the interior or, or the north northwest, um, northeast. Um, but yeah, that's the south coast. I mean, we actually do um, a two-day helicopter aerial extension on the south coast, and then typically, uh, you know, when we're not flying, you know, we'll do an excursion or two to uh, some locations we know that are. You know, a little quieter, not overrun with with tour buses, uh, and we also do it in 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 the fall, so it's not quite as busy as the peak of summer. Um, Helicop-
0: those-
2: not cheap. Helicopters? No, Helicopters? they're not, especially in Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> the meter
0: starts when the when the when the key goes in the in the ignition.
2: That's, that's right. right. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. But it's uh, it's definitely a great way to see uh, see the south coast and the rivers and all that sort of thing.
0: Anywhere else other than uh, your favorite that you just talked about? What, what would be your second favorite?
2: Second favorite? Well, I mean, gosh, I mean, the American West is is incredible, and there's still, you know, so many, so many things to do that are um, away from sort of the iconic, you know, vantage points. Um, you know, it always amazes me. You know, we did a uh, a workshop out of Moab. Um, Gosh, was it two two years ago now something like that in I think it was February or March March probably and um, you know we we had, we took folks out to to Mesa Arch in Canyonlands just because you sort of have to like you know we had we actually surveyed the group like you know hands up who wants to go to Mesa Arch and who doesn't really who who'd rather explore new areas, whatever. And more than half the group wanted to go to Mesa Arch. So we took them out there and we we got out there extra early and, and it's winter, right? This is not, not the peak time for sure.
0: I know what you're going to
2: say. And well, fortunately there were only two other people there um, ahead of us. But of course, like as the sun came up, a bunch more people came out and, uh, you know, all our, all our folks found, positions and stuff but i you know i i personally went out there thinking okay i'm going to do something that i've never seen done here before like that that's my only requirement requirement of myself i do not want to shoot the same shot through base arch that everybody shoots because i just don't care about having that picture and um <clears throat> so I, I was sort of poking around the edges checking out different vantage points and different angles and stuff meanwhile our, our group got their shot but um you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, here we are, all packed together in this one little spot, trying to get a picture, in the middle of this incredible landscape. You know, there's there's infinite possibilities. You know, and and it's just like if you sort of keep an open mind and 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 you're willing to explore a little bit, um, which you know, fortunately, that particular workshop. You know, we we hit some areas that are are not really, you know, it's not like they're unknown, but they're just not. Um, they don't have that one iconic formulaic shot where it's you know be nope. here at this time, put your camera here with this this lens and you know and you'll get this picture that everyone else has posted on instagram um and it's you know I find that it's when you get into an area that has lots of possibilities and what i you know what I call you know sort of visual inventory of uh of um yeah, you know, possibilities or components that can be brought together um, with different qualities of light and all that sort of thing. It's when you have have that and you sort of you're working in a, an area where you can move around and and work with these things and actually sort of build your own compositions. Uh, that's that's what excites me and and you know what I I try to pass on to our, our participants is how you know how to go out there and find your own pictures that that are really they really come from within you. You know that's not about what you saw in a book or online. Good point. Good point. John, uh, I'm going to turn this
0: over to you for a minute. I know you had a couple questions there that you uh, had written down for Justin.
1: Well, just a, just a couple of quick things, Justin, I wanted you to touch on for our listeners. Um, folks, if you go out to Justin's website and read some of his articles, highly informative, um, and it really gives you an insight into how Justin approaches Uh, his artistic process and how he creates images that are included in his portfolio. I think Justin, in in your last uh, piece, you you touched on a couple of different points and one is, uh, one is pre-editing, which is learning when not to shoot, which I think uh, too often people get caught up in, Hey, I'm at this place. I need to shoot a thousand images in this place And then the other point I wanted to touch on just real quickly is subtraction by focus, which I, for me, I really enjoyed this little topic. So Uh let's let's talk about learning when not to shoot.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. This is incredibly important because I've, I've, I've wasted all kinds kinds of time, you know, beating my head against the wall. uh, You know, trying to work a situation that's just not going to work because the conditions aren't right. The light isn't right. Whatever. Um, you know but you, you get emotionally invested in you know a picture you're trying to pull off and um you know you know Galen talked about uh you know the 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 example of the writer who has um you know they they've they've come up with some uh little sort of uh, a clever phrase or sort of a just a you know maybe a, a line of dialogue that they just think is really clever and catchy, and they and they want to find a place to use it. It's like you know it's like this darling that they that they need to uh, need to find a, pl- a place to insert into their into their their manuscript for the, their novel or whatever. And uh, at the end of the day, you know the editor says, "Hey, you know you have this this little clever phrase in here, but it really is totally totally throws off the tone or the mood of the scene." that you're writing, you know, just get rid of it. And, you know, it's that kind of idea of being able to let go and find something better. Um, You know, like, uh, you know, take the example of of Mesa arch. Okay. Well, so if you go to Mesa arch and, and, and there's a cloud that's obstructing the sun at sunrise, well, you don't have a shot, you know, if if you're Mm -hmm. trying to knock off the same picture that everyone always does, but, you know, God, there's so much to do in these places, you know, and, and, uh, you just have to sort of be open minded and and learn how to look at something and know whether it's got potential or not you know and whether it's whether it excites you whether you and i think that 's a key thing is is um, you know if you go out to a an iconic location with it doing a particular shot in mind <clears throat> um, You know, you're you're close minded about all these other possibilities. Um, Of course, if you're open minded, you also means that you do have to learn to sort of say yes and no very quickly. Like, Yes, that's got potential. No, that doesn't have potential. Yes, it's worth me spending my time on. No, that's not. And that, you know, to a certain degree, that comes from experience um, or just sort of really understanding. You know, the situation you're in, understanding how the light is going to change, you know, understanding how the weather is going to influence that and all this kind of stuff. Um, But, yeah, I think, you know, if if you to the extent that you can um, learn when to bypass something to sort of move on and and know, okay, well, given these conditions, the shot I have in mind is not going to work, but. You know, given the set of conditions and the circumstances that I'm that I do have to work with, you know, what can I do? Right. There's probably another and shot
1: out there somewhere.
2: Mm-hmm. There's always there's always another shot out there somewhere. Yes. <laughs> always. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean that's sometimes. I mean, some of my best pictures have been made in in situations where you know I was hoping for one set of conditions that didn't pan out, and you know, I actually had I had to actually think (laughs) and see and, and come up with something that I wasn't expecting to do, but, you know, is in response to, you know, being in a place, responding to the place emotionally and working with what you do have to work with. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll,
0: I'll add one thing and uh, you're spot on and, and it's something, um, you know, all good, I don't care what you're doing. All good photographers better pay attention to things you said. But the other aspect, and John and I preach this. In fact, we, we got to get T-shirts made, John. And <laughs> slow down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, um, I was in Olympic with a with a group a few years ago, and we had one uh, client who was he was shooting so much. It sounded his camera sounded like the St. Valentine's day massacre, you know, it was like a right. machine. Gun. And I walked over and I asked him, I said, where's your camera bag? And he said, well, it's sitting over there on that stump. So I, I took his camera off his tripod. <laughs> I don't know if I do the same way. I took his camera off his tripod and walked over and put it in his camera bag uh-huh. and zipped it up. I said, well, I want you to sit, and look around for about 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. You're, you're, you're missing stuff. You're, you're, you know, I, I get it. It's beautiful here, but, yeah, you know, and that goes along with what you were saying and it's, it's habits, you know, I mean, we, we need to all form habits and. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree. Uh, you know, I, I often will tell, uh, students, um, you know you only need one (laughs) you know if i if i go on i mean if i go on a trip and i come back with one image that that you know i really consider a fine photograph that's worth putting in my you know my limited edition portfolio uh then i consider that a great success you know and i you know Honestly, if that was the only picture that came back from that trip, I would be happy. <laughs> yeah. a <laughs> hey, quick it, story:
0: we're going to get into just Fujifilm for a minute, and this has to do with it. But when Fujifilm called me, I guess decided to be four or five years ago now. Justin Staley, I don't know if you know Justin. I'm not sure, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Justin, he called me up. He says, "He says, listen, uh, we want to make you an extra driver." and I want you to send me your 10 best photographs of last of the recent couple of years. I said, Justin, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I, you know, I, I don't think I have 10 from last year that I was real happy with. And I mean, I was happy, but I, they're not, you know, signature prints. And, you know, that's how it is at the end of the year. If you have five or six images, you had a good year, you know, and, if you go on a trip yeah. and you come back, I tell the clients, I know you do too. If you come back with three, four shots that are really great, boy, you had a great three, or four days with us. Yeah,
2: well, I think, I mean, I think partly what we're talking about is is having high standards, right? Because yeah. you, know, you know, I'm sure you come back from a trip with dozens and you know, dozens of pictures that a lot of people look at and say, "Oh, that's amazing, that's great," you know. Yeah. Um well, what camera do you have? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, what a great camera you must have. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's about. I mean, it's funny because sometimes I'll take a dive through my image collection and you know, images that I didn't really think of anything of at the time, like when you're editing in the you know on location or whatever. I'll think, oh boy, that was really good. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, we 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 go through and re- reject I mean these days especially like you know I reject tons of pictures that you know 20 years ago I would have been ecstatic about you know um and not not, not that I'm throwing them away necessarily but just you know they're not they're not cutting the cutting the uh raising to the the level that that I'm I'm hoping to achieve these days you know um but uh So
1: real quick, Justin, just uh, in the last few minutes of our podcast, you know, talking about subtraction by focus, which which I think Jack and I talk about a lot, too, with our with our folks when we're out there. It's really simplifying there. there, There's a way to subtract elements from your compositions to simplify the composition, which will then create more of a visual pathway or, or be a little bit more overt about where you want people to look in your images
2: yeah yeah. I mean co- composition um, including you know where you choose to focus is, it's all about directing the eye um, and uh, you know this is a classic tactic of shooting a subject wide open you know at a wide open aperture and um, you know softening the background you know, that simplifies the background and directs your eye very clearly to whatever you're focusing on um, but yeah I think uh you know, f- using the tools that we have t- to simplify things, as you say, um, you know, it's one of the great, one of the one of the greatest tools we have. Is is, you know, we get to choose where we put the the frame around the scene. You know, we get to choose our perspective. Um, we get to choose, you know, where we focus. You know, whether we're using extreme depth of field or very limited depth of field to simplify the background. Um, and.
1: And I think part of that is going back to Jack's earlier point around slowing down, you know, slowing down and figuring out what do you want to say with this particular image? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think, um, you know, I've done a number of workshops with John Shaw and John, John has this uh, thing he always says, which is basically, you know, try to express in words like out loud what it is you're trying to photograph, you know, and, and hopefully, that 's a phrase <laughs> or a sentence fragment, <laughs> or you know uh if it 's a if it 's a short sentence that 's fine. if you start getting into beyond one sentence, you forget it you know and mm-hmm. and you have to you have David to really Middleton,
0: simplify David middle was the guy who who started that discussion. He said that I think he said the 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 phrase- the sentence is more powerful than the novel you know right
1: right, yeah.
0: Yeah. Certainly, with regard to photography, and
1: it's amazing though when you ask sometimes when you ask folks that they can't verbally describe what they're trying to do with this image, right? And it's that's a great teaching moment, I think, at that point. Yeah,
2: well, it's yeah. You know, that's when you, I mean, a lot. Of, I mean, it's just the fact that that a lot of people when they're photographing something, they're not really tuned into one, what's in front of the camera, and. Um, you know a lot of times they they haven't even seen you know a uh, uh, something in this in the in the composition that's that's an obvious you know problem mm-hmm. uh it's it's right there it's very conspicuous you know if you know what to look for um or if you're really paying attention but they just they've they got excited about what they were trying to shoot they framed it up and they didn't really see what was what was in front of them and right. um yeah it's slowing down really inspecting the scene understanding what it what's really in front of the camera um it's i mean it's it's obvious i guess but it's so important
0: it is, it is. hey Justin, before we uh slam a little bit on things here uh welcome to the world of the fuji x
2: photographer uh, oh thanks jack
0: <laughs> thing here it's, and- it's,
2: a, it's a pleasure it's an I'm honor. There.
0: Well, you know, it's a, it, it it it's a funny thing, and then, again, we're not gear centric here, but um, just for uh, the record, um, what what, uh, and I think I know, but I'm not sure, what what uh, Fuji lenses and cameras do you do you enjoy?
2: Um, well, I've been shooting almost everything um, since early 2017 with the GFX system. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember yeah. that. Now I remember that. I
0: remember running into you at Nampa, and you were trying to get a hold of one to do a review <laughs> outdoor. And I think I called Justin and Stacey and arrested him and them Fuji, and I think a couple other people did. And I think finally they got you one. It took a while, didn't it?
2: Uh, it did. In fact, uh... Yeah, um, but it's, you know, I'll tell you what, it's interesting because I, at the time, I was, I was not, I mean, I was perfectly happy with the gear I was using. I was not looking to switch systems at all. I wasn't thinking about it. Um, And if I hadn't seen that, you know, that camera at, uh, I think it was at the NAMPA trade show.
0: It was in, uh, I think it was the one in, was it Vegas or it was in Jacksonville? I don't know, it was one of them. Jacksonville,
2: I think. Um, But, uh, you know, it just, I don't know, it just sort of piqued my interest. I was interested about, just curious about checking it out. And boy, I mean, when I saw the, the first, I took it on a trip to Patagonia and um, I mean, the, the files that came out of it and, it, you know, I think it was the realization that I could do what I had been doing with a digital SLR, and, you know, with stitching, you know, I could do that in single frames with this camera
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: um, because I I'd, I'd basically, you know, I'd come from a, a four by five film background, um, and then I once I realized that you know, you could stitch do multi-frame really like three-frame overlapping stitches with a like a Nikon D eight hundred or something and get you know something that approximated the the quality of a print that I was getting at a four by five. That took me into into digital, away from film, and then you know simplifying that process by being able to achieve similar kind of quality uh with the Fuji GFX that took me into into that system um but the you know so much more than that i mean the the, the lenses just the opportunity that that they had w- to build the system from the ground up at a time when a the, you know you have such amazing sensor technology and b there had been this revolution in in lens design um where everybody now i mean even like you know low end sigma and tamron lenses and things like that are like you know worlds better than they would have been like 20 years ago uh, everybody's making lenses now better better lenses now and fujifilm has always made some of the best and so you're able to they're able to pair absolutely superb you know recently designed lenses with the top quality sensor and match the two um in a new system i mean that's that gives them a tremendous advantage and um yeah I actually first got into the Fujifilm digital cameras um, back in two thousand and thirteen I guess when I picked up an x pro one um, for travel basically just to have a light rig and I still use um, the x series cameras for for lightweight travel kind of stuff um, but it 's mostly g f x and i'm i 'm just absolutely thrilled with them i mean I just think the the image quality the the quality of the files is incredible um, and you know, I I've even t- used them for uh, for wildlife because I'm a masochist, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I I picked up uh, picked up a uh, an old Pentax six four five six hundred millimeter f five point six and a one point four converter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I've taken that to the Pantanal in um, Brazil to do you know jaguars and birds and things. And you know, I was reminded that boy, you know back before autofocus you actually did have wildlife photographers who you know would photograph moving animals manually and and uh you know it's sort of a reminder that that all this uh technology we have is you know not always essential um 100 ASA Yeah exactly right <laughs> yeah yeah heck i mean i may not have autofocus but i've got you know i've got uh ISO 3200 <laughs> or so, more yeah and uh yeah that's been that's been fun but the the quality i mean i took it uh, took that rig to india in uh, late february it's actually the last last international trip i did and you know did tigers with it um, and it was great i mean it uh... now i i am hoping that fujifilm comes out with their own you know big telephoto for that system because i think that um, especially as they gradually improve the autofocus and that sort of thing i mean just just imagine being able to do Birds in flight with a 100 megapixel medium format camera. I mean, it's just, uh, it's got a lot of potential. It could be really interesting.
0: It does. Yep. Well, listen, Justin, it was great having you. Um, maybe, you know, in, in in a year or so, maybe we can get you back and we can get back to normal here with the workshop business. I know John and I are looking forward to departing um, a week from Sunday, John. I'm yeah. leaving. And uh, I, I think we're going to have some great conditions out in the Tetons. and That's great. We're going to do a podcast from out there. It would be fun for our people who are listening here. Just stay tuned for that. But if we can get back to normal, and we wish you success with Visionary Wild. You've got some great instructors. I think uh, um, I, I know most of them, and you run a first-class operation. And, you know, we run workshops too, but we're really happy to kind of – recommend other other things to other people that from people who do it the right way and, and you do it the right way and we want to just thank you well, thanks for jack and, and spending some time with us i think everybody that heard this podcast got a lot out of it so without further ado uh, john you want to do the do the sign off uh, oh, of
1: course up? so justin thank you for me to you it was, oh. it's really been a pleasure having you on the show
2: Oh, thank you, guys. It's uh, My pleasure is all mine, and I'd be happy to do it again, and I uh, hope you guys have a, a great trip. <laughs> thank
1: you. So, folks, um, don't forget we post all of our show notes and links to Justin's information up on our website, wetalkphoto.com. And if you have any suggestions, comments, questions, forward them on to wetalkphoto at gmail.com. Um, and we'll get back to you as soon as we possibly can, which is generally uh, generally in a day or two. So, with that, I want to thank everybody for listening. Stay tuned. We've got a lot more great stuff coming up in the future for you. And everybody have a great day. Okay.
0: See you later, folks. All right. Bye bye.